0: So on the weekend services, we uh, explored the five big questions in this section, uh, and um, we saw, you know, the first question was they were, you know, the the um, religious leaders, the uh, chief priests, and the scribes. Some of those guys they were questioning his authority. It was a question of authority, and and Jesus didn't give him an answer because they wouldn't tell him, uh, you know, what whether John the Baptist was of God or of men. Uh, and um, you know, it's interesting, just because someone um, you know, uh, displays religious behavior doesn't mean they know anything. And these guys were the picture of religion back in those days. So it's kind of interesting where Jesus, is, uh, his authority was questioned by guys who didn't have the authority to que- question him in, in the first place. And Jesus showed, showed the whole uh, crowd there, their hypocrisy. You know, it's interesting that uh, just because, uh, you know, they were saying, "By what authority do you do these things?" Remember all the miracles Jesus had done, and you might say, "Well, that's enough." He raised people from the dead. He, you know, you know, healed the blind, cleansed the leper. But one thing that is interesting is, should miracles be the thing that confirms if someone is truly of God? No, remember Janus and Jambres? They could copy Moses' service, uh, you know, Moses and Aaron, All some of the, you know, the things that Moses did, they were able to sort of do with their magic and trickery. Um, and um, that's one of the things we have to be careful of because even in the last days during the tribulation period, uh, there's going to be signs and wonders that are not gonna be of God. Um, you know, this whole antichrist thing and the beast, and there's gonna be a fatal wound that it seems like brought back to life, you know, whether it's, you know, a, a seeming miracle or trickery, we won't know, but there, there'll be people tricked in the tribulation period in thinking that, uh, oh, this must be the one because look, he did a magic trick. Uh, be be cautious about that. Uh, in fact, Matthew 24, five says, many shall come in my name saying I am Christ and shall deceive many. So that's one of the things we have to watch out for in the last days. Um, you know, there is a true ultimate power from God, but there's also powers of darkness. You know, Ephesians 6, 12 reminds us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, spiritual uh, you know, wickedness, rulers of the darkness in high places. So um, one of the things we have to do is be careful when we, um, people say, well, how do you know Jesus is Jesus? Like the Messiah, the King of the Jews, the uh, God in the flesh, how do we know that? One of the main things we like to lean on heavily, of course, is what we just sang about in worship. Because He lives, Uh, He's the risen Savior. Nobody else can do that. Jesus only has power over life and death. Um, But also, the Word is a um, confirming—you know—I love the anchor that we have in the Word of God. Because Jesus, uh, they should have known. uh, He could have told them by what authority does these things by the 300 prophecies that he was fulfilling moment by moment of his life. He just kept checking boxes. I mean, first you got to be born of a virgin. Uh, that's a big deal. Then you also have to be a descendant of David. Um, and that's kind of a big deal. Uh, you know, you have to be born in Bethlehem. Uh, like there's there's there were so many requirements and Jesus could check all of those things. But those Religious leaders, they didn't didn't care. They they just wanted to question authority, but they didn't really care. They were just worried about their own authority. The second thing we saw on this weekend was a question of responsibility. Uh, Do you pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus answered that question. uh, And we looked at that more in depth. The third one was a question about eternity. Um, You know, asking about the resurrection by the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection. Um, and, um, you know, Jesus gave a great argument. God said, I, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not I was when they were living, uh, I am. In other words, they're still living in eternity. And Jesus gave a great argument there, um, a question of eternity. And then there was a question of priority given to the, by the scribes. Which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus gave them the answer the, to love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, And Jesus would tell in the Gospel of Matthew, all the law and the prophets hang on those two things. Love God, love people. Um, You know, uh, what I love about this loving God answer, it wasn't just some law, some legal responsibility. It's a relationship that we're to have with God. You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as as yourself. So the priority is love. Jesus made that really clear. And then we sort of, finished it up with, uh, you know, by this time, after the question of priority um, and the scribe that was near to the kingdom, but wasn't in the kingdom, we left him. um, It really does leave us with Jesus asking the final question of the five, and we touched on it on the weekend service, but I wanna do a little deeper dive, and it was a question of identity, Um, you know. It was really that question of, you know, who do people believe Jesus really is? And that's the question of all questions. Who do you believe Jesus is? Do you believe he's just a good teacher, a good guy, a prophet, or, you know, uh, like Oprah says, he's he was a good guy, but he's not the only way to heaven. Come on, you know, that's what Oprah says. Um, you know, and others who would try to diminish Jesus, that's the big deal. You have to say, who do you believe Jesus to be? That's the, the huge question of the day. And the scribes, um, were the ones who Jesus was addressing specifically on this one, because they just asked the last question. The scribes were the cerebral of all the the groups. They were known to be the Bible answer guys. They knew the scriptures uh, better than anybody else. Uh, brainiacs of the day, the intellectuals. And Jesus uh, is basically saying, is, is Christ the son of David? And they would all say, well, yes, the Messiah, Christ. That's what the word Christos is, the Messiah. Jesus, is the Christ gonna be the son of David? And even, uh, you know, your, your Pharisees and those guys probably knew the answer to that. Yes. Um, but then Jesus stumped the intellectuals. Let's read this once again here in our text, um, verse 35 through 37. It's uh, Mark 12, 35. And Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said, by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. And David therefore himself called him Lord. And whence is he then his son? Now, the, the funny thing is, the answer, you know, is not given because they don't know. The scribes don't have any answer. But th- just Jesus saying this sort of seems like more of a rhetorical question where they, they weren't really he wasn't expecting them to answer. He was expecting them to have no idea. But that's why we end with, and the people, the, the common people, heard him gladly. Um, he's putting to silence the guys that pretty much were the authority on all things, you know, religious, or all things godly. And Jesus says something just with one little you know, they're all trying to stump him with questions, and he he wins, gets an A. And then, uh, so he says, uh, let's wrap this up. One little question for you. Why did David call the Christ, you know, or why did he call his descendant Lord? How is that? Now, this is something we kind of lose a little bit. Uh, If you go to the psalm that Jesus is quoting from, it's Psalm 110, verse 1. And there um, it says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now, um, it's unfortunate, sorry, my verses are all in caps. That's kind of the way we roll here. But if you look at the text, in fact, if you're interested, you can flip over to Psalm 110 because your Bible will probably do something to the capital letters that you should take note of. It says the Lord, and the first Lord there is in all, all caps. Uh, there's the little miniature caps. Uh, the Lord said unto my Lord, and then and that one's not, Caps. How many of your Bibles uh, tend to do that with the capitals? And Okay, if you have the word Lord and there's miniature capital letters, that's a word that comes from the great Tetragrammaton. Huh? What? Um, remember the YHWH uh, the Hebrew Bible gives us when Moses was there standing at the burning bush and, and he says, Who do I tell them send me? And the Lord spoke and said, No, that's that's Charlton Heston's movie. Sorry, the Cecil B. DeMille's movie. No, uh, the the Lord says, "I am that I am." Uh, You you know, Moses, you'd think he'd say, "You are what?" But see, God was revealing to Moses, He was and is everything that you would ever need. All that. I love the the way the Bible rolls because you know it starts with, "Who's this God of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob?" Well, it's the I am. And you say, I am what? Well, the, the Bible gives us the rest of that information. In the Old Testament, we have all these names of God, I am Jehovah Sidkenu, our, the Lord, our righteousness. I am Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner. I'm Jehovah Rapa, the, the God that heals us. You know, and all these names of Jehovah, Jehovah this and Jehovah that, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. But then when Jesus comes on the scene and he says, if you've seen me, this, you've seen the Father, and then he gives us seven I ams. I am the way and the truth of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the door of the sheepfold. Uh, uh, you know, like, like Jesus fills in, I am the bread of life. I, I am the living water. Uh, Jesus fills in everything that you need. That's who God is. He fulfills our every need and he is the great I am. So when the Hebrew scribes would write this out in the Hebrew Bible, um, it would only be transcribed without any of the vowels, if you would. So it was just Y-H-W-H is the way, it, and you'd see it in capitals in the, it, it sort of in, our, in the way we would look at it. Um, and that was just where we get the word, uh, and it's really a guess. People argue, uh, is it Jehovah, or Yahweh, or Yahu? Like what is the YHWH and how do you pronounce it? Uh, it was such a holy name. We don't really know that the Jews left that kind of undone. Um, but uh, let me help with that just a little bit. So, so when you come to the L with the little caps next to it, um, that's in the in your Bible. That's that's that uh, YHWH uh, that was would be transcribed from the manuscripts, um, which we would say Yehovah or Jehovah or Yahweh, uh, depending on how you want to pronounce it there. Um, uh, by the way, I'm not sure you should get too uh, dogmatic. I've actually spent quite a bit of time saying, which one is it, Jehovah or is it Yahweh? And uh, you know, in my life of studying that, sometimes I lean more toward Jehovah, sometimes I lean more toward Yahweh, depending on who I'm reading and studying. Um, and you can, you can land on whichever one you want, but I think you're still okay either way. But don't be like Jehovah's Witness and say, we alone have the because they have nothing. They, they have nothing right, uh, the Jehovah's Witness. Um, but they claim that. But, um, but don't let the Jehovah's Witness, their using of the word Jehovah, don't let that you know, f- bother you. They, they, they did not own that word. So the first word there of, is the sm- all caps, and it's the word Jehovah. When you see the word Lord, um, it could be several words in the uh, Old Testament, but this particular case in the Psalm is where we get our word Adonai or Adonah. Uh, uh, in the Hebrew, um, which means firm, strong, lord, master, king. And it can refer to God, but it also can refer to a normal uh, king um, uh, who's a master or, or lord of an of a, of a area, or what have you. Um, so uh, what Jesus is talking about is the, these two words. Je- Jesus is being referred to by his great, 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 great grandfather, David. And David, David said that, that strange word in Psalm 110, the Lord said unto my Lord. That's, that's weird right there. Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies my, thy footstool. Now, I'll, I'll try to you know, make this, I probably making it clear as mud, but the, you know, um, quoting Psalm 110, Jesus knew the Jews knew this to be a prophecy concerning the Messiah. So Jesus asked how David could call his son or his descendant, Lord, they, they hadn't grappled with that question yet. Uh, they just kind of said, oh yeah, he's talking about the Messiah, but, but nobody in the Jewish culture would call their son Lord. Um, the only way a son could be greater than his father was if he was more than simply the son of the father. In other words, the Messiah um, for whom the Jews waited was more than just a political leader or a religious instructor, more than a mere man. He had to be greater than David. And we know he was because Jesus is God. This, by the way, is one of the areas of the Bible where we kind of realize Jesus is saying, I'm greater than David. uh, And and he's saying it without making them even answer, but that is the answer. Jesus is the Messiah, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, which makes him greater than David. That's why David the king, nobody was bigger than him, except for his descendant, who would be God in the flesh. Um, You know, uh, by the way, people read the Bible and they see stuff like this. And they, well, you know, it's probably some mistake or something. Nobody says Lord to Lord. You know, you almost dismiss stuff. But whenever you see things that are too hard to understand, one of the things that it reminds me of is the Bible is written not by man. That's one of the great mistakes people make. Oh, the Bible is just written by men. Um, no, the Bible was written by God. God breathed to man his word and man was just the tool that wrote it down. Um, And that's where we go to, uh, uh, pardon me, 2 Timothy 3.16, where um, that that key verse of understanding what the Bible claims of itself. Um, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, which means teaching, uh, Bible teaching, for reproof or correction, um, for instruction in righteousness. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, this is this this is interesting. There's um, four, uh, let's see, five words there given by inspiration of God. There's only one Greek word that is employed to 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 define those those uh, five words, and it's a word we don't really have the the equivalent in the English language. But it's kind of a fun thing. Um, it's it's this word um, uh, uh, it's Theopneustos. Uh, theop new new. I'm sorry, that's a hard one for me. Uh, it's uh, Theopneustos. Uh, divinely breathed in or divinely breathed out is the idea, uh, God breathed his word to humanity. Um, what does the word breathe or breath make you think of anybody? The Holy Spirit, that's the idea there, excuse me. Uh, the Holy Spirit, and, and that's exactly what happened in, with the giving of the Bible. The Holy Spirit breathed uh, God's word. And that's why it's it's good for correction, instruction, reproof, All that stuff. (coughs) So, um, you know, some churches, by the way, and colleges and universities are getting more and more wacko on this. Is they're they're calling it partial uh, um, inspiration. Have you heard of this one? That some of the Word of God, (coughs) excuse me, is inspired. And and here's the problem with that. Um, As soon as you say the Bible's partially inspired, you're going to pick and choose the things you like and say, oh, those are inspired. And then the things you don't like, oh, that was, that was just men being stupid. Um, and there's all kinds of things. You, can I just tell you one of the gateway drugs uh, to partial uh, you know, believing inspiration and stuff like that? Uh, a gateway drug is egalitarian versus complementarian. Um, what's that, Brett? Well, um, if you're in an egalitarian church, you believe women should be pastors. And those, and it's getting weirdly hostile. Like it used to be, most churches were complementarian. Now what's a complementarian church? We believe, as Athe Creek, that men and women are designed by God to complement one another. We're different, men and women are different. We have different roles. And we didn't hand out the, the duties God did in his, in his word. And because we believe in total inspiration of scripture, when Paul makes that very clear argument and gives the reasons why the, the men should be elders and pastors in the church, um, we just kind of say, well, uh, we're gonna believe that because it's God inspired, God breathed. And that's what he, he handed out the, the you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting where people largely are saying, well, that was Paul in his day. It doesn't really apply to us anymore. Um, the reason that's such a horrible argument is because Paul used an example of why men should lead in the church and the women are not to lead. And it's a tough hit on the ladies. uh, And you feel like, well, what did we have to do with Eve in the garden? That was a few years ago. Um, Well, Paul uses that. He says the reason why God wanted the men is because he's gonna put them in charge of doctrine and teaching, and instruction, and leadership in the church in the way of an elder. Now, there are other roles for women. You know, the, the egalitarians, I've noticed they become more hostile and belligerent, um, and uh, act like, in fact, I heard one podcast the other day, this, this group was saying, uh, if you go to a complementarian church, you're part of a cult. If you, you know, they're calling it cults now, if, if you're a, a, a church that doesn't have women pastors. But, um, it's a total not understanding uh, the beauty of what God has ordained. It's not that, you know, you'll hear the egalitarians on their podcast saying, you know, the churches don't let women do anything, or, you know, the women are just dumb, barefoot, and pregnant. Like, like that's just their their invention of what they're they're thinking. But, um, the, you know, at AC Creek, we have women doing all kinds, we have women in administrative roles here at AC Creek. We have women that are leading teams and women that are doing all kinds of great things. They're just not elders and pastors. And um, the cool thing is, is um, we, we love the differences that God has ordained in the church between men and women. And, and um, what's interesting is if you watch, and this might sound brutal, and I'm sure George Fox is gonna hate me for it. Uh, I get a lot of bashing from George Fox for this issue. Um, uh, but, um, but you know, um, the, if you look at church history, a lot of times, it was when they handed over the doctrinal issues to the, to the women in church history, that's where things kinda got away from scripture. That's where things, and I'll tell you why I think that is. It's not because women are dumb or wacko or anything like that. I think women are wired by the Lord differently, and that is they, they have a longing to go deeper and a longing to be nearer to the Lord. Uh, we men could do better in our devotional life and prayer life and, and a longing to go deeper. But you know, um, I always refer, you know, because Paul referred to Adam and Eve Eve was deceived by the serpent in the garden. What, what was he deceiving her on? Her eyes would be open and you'll be like God. She was tempted by that. The man would not be tempted by that. A, a lot of, have you ever noticed how much new age, all the new age stuff? Rarely do you see a man leading new age stuff. It's almost always women because they wanna go deeper and they wanna be nearer to God. Or even as Shirley MacLaine running down the beach saying, I am God, you know, like that's where new age leads you. Um, uh, but it's the boring men that kind of say, yeah, we're not really interested in that. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's funny, if Satan would have gone to Adam, your eyes will be enlightened, you probably went, hmm, I'm not eating of that fruit. Uh, <laughs> and he would have walked away, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, but how did Satan get Adam? With the naked woman, uh, that's, that's how the man, so that just shows how uh, goofy men are. But at the same time, um, but that's just what, what is real. I mean, it's funny how real that is even to this very day. And, um, and so, you know, but, but that's the gateway drug. Once a church starts saying, well, that's not for today. Well, then the next issue will be the LGBTQ alphabet. Um, and because you said, well, we don't like how unpopular the the women not being pastors in the church thing is so we're gonna throw that out the window and we're gonna have women pastors and then we're gonna also start embracing the LGBT because that's not for today either and we know now there's a gene and and if people are gay because of this and that and we don't want to appear to be hateful and they're just they're just being blown by the winds of the of the world and godlessness um, but once you say the Bible is inspired and you believe the Scriptures and you don't let it be you know moved in any direction then we're not. Bowing down to culture or the, the latest trend or what's popular, you know. I hope people are starting to see. You know, you're gonna you're gonna end up in a real troubled spot if you start opening the gate. Once you open that gate, it's a it's gonna be a flood, and it goes from, you know, uh, the the LGBTQ thing to uh, all kinds of sexual immorality to you know um, sexually attracted. Persons to minors, maps, minor attracted persons. And, and you know, the, the things just get more and more corrupt and the church is gonna have to figure out, you know, do we say love is love? Well, uh, the Bible says no. Love, uh, according to First Corinthians 13, um, does not rejoice in iniquity. That's one of the definitions of love. And it's funny how people say, love is love. And it sounds so great and it sounds like a bumper sticker, but it's, it's actually um, not true. Uh, They're saying, basically, if you love someone, nobody should stop someone from loving someone other. Even if it's a 50-year-old man and a 12-year-old boy, love is love. You see, what about 12 women and one man? Or, you know, 12 men and one woman? Like, why not polygamy? Love is love. Somewhere there's got to be a standard. We at Aether Creek believe the standard is and always has been the word of God. Now, the reason I say this uh, and you think, oh yeah, Brett, okay, got it. We know how oh, you're a stodgy old Bible guy. Uh, call me that, uh, whatever you wanna call me, that's great. But um, it's gonna, you're gonna get, I believe in the days we're living and, and I believe we're living in, in nearer and nearer, nearer to the last days, you will be hated for believing the Bible. And uh, you will be thought of as a, a dupe or someone who hates women or misogynistic or whatever. Even though if you kind of hang out and know who Athe Greek really is, we actually, I think we admire women, we honor women, we we've given... Um, great care to uh, love on, care for, and even uh, see women use their strengths in such a great way. I wish I wish those people at uh, some of these places that call us complementarian churches, like horrible, I wish, I, I would put our women that are in uh, leadership roles. They're not pastors or elders, but I would put our gals against any of them, theologically, biblically, personality, uh, Whatever, fill in the blank. Uh, I'm just saying we have very nice, uh, normal to, uh, like totally outstanding uh, kind of ladies that I think uh, they would be embarrassed if they saw how great and the roles the women uh, have here at Athey Creek. So just be careful, don't fall into the narratives. That's the gateway drug to being these people that say, well, we we believe partial inspiration where some of the Bible's inspired, but some of it's not, the parts we agree with, blah, blah, blah. Run for your life. Don't go to a church that believes in partial inspiration and be careful, college students, because sadly, even if they say they believe in the absolute inerrancy of scripture, I'm kind of noticing that they sort of don't, even though they, they claim they do. Watch out. I'm gonna say, even if you go to a Christian school, there's a local Christian high school that their Bible teacher says he believes in inspiration, but he really doesn't. And he's basically said that as much. Um, and it's, it, I, I'm just gonna tell you, mom, dad, if you think, well, we, my kid's going to a Christian high school here locally, um, just take it from your pastor, check it out yourself. It's not safe. I almost would rather have a kid go to Tualatin because they'll, they'll realize, oh yeah, they're really pro Australopithecus man and evolution and, and LGBTQ and all that stuff, rather than have the subtlety of a Bible teacher who's saying, yeah, but you know, your church, one both at George Fox and one of the local high school, Christian schools, they said, whatever you do, don't go to Athey Creek. <laughs> they told our students, both high school students and a Christian school, whatever you do, don't go to Creek. And the reason why is because we're complementarian, we're not egalitarian. I think that's the main uh, problem they have. I, I just, I'm not saying that to vent my frustration. I'm saying that to watch and warn the flock. That's my job to watch and warn the flock. And these are the subtle little things that creep into the church. And we wonder how did the church get so cattywampus? It's this very topic. Uh, once you open the door to the Bible, it's got mistakes or errors, or not all of it's inspired, you're gonna be in big, big trouble. So it really um, knowing you know the word inspiration from God, it, it, this, is, this, is, um, this is why we know Jesus, is identity really is kind of the key part of all that. And it really brings us here now uh, to um, the rest of our study here in Mark uh, Mark chapter 12. We, we finished off um, right there in verse 33 um, with that, uh, or 37, I should say, um, uh, and the people heard him gladly. Now, th- th- this isn't a shifting of gears. This is Jesus addressing the scribes, the ones who just asked the previous question there Uh, in verses 28 through 34, now Jesus is turning. These are the Brainiac guys. This is the guy that was near the kingdom but didn't make it to the kingdom if you're with us on Sunday. And Jesus is gonna kind of call him out. Uh, so, So let's go, verse 38. It says there, and he said unto them in his doctrine, that's in his teaching, beware of the scribes They're standing right there. They just asked them a question. Beware of these guys standing over here. Um, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms at the feast, which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation they go around doing what? Well, this, this is interesting because people haven't really changed all that much. You know what I mean? It's like, it's really interesting to watch how people still do, and religious groups still do the same stuff. But um, what's, what's sad is to watch how, um, you know, people build it into what real religion looks like. Um, this whole thing about the long flowing robes Uh, I've always joked around about the purple hats and the flowing robes and all that stuff, but it's not really a joke. It really is something that I think that those that walk around with flowing robes, where did that come from? Well, it didn't come from the Bible. you know the the priests in the Old Testament wore different clothes, but when they ministered in in the most important times, they stripped down to just their linen garments, like a, for the purpose of humility. Like there was a there was a reason that they did what they did, and but we're not in the Jewish practice of the old te- you know Mosaic laws and Levitical laws, um, and so you kind of have to go on what the Bible says about what what should a priest or a pastor or you know a bishop or whatever what what should they look like when they're ministering. Um, Well, these guys were doing something wrong. Beware of those scribes which love to go in long clothing. Um, What does the NIV say? I think flowing, flowing robes. uh, Some of the newer translations, flowing garments. Um, You know, in Matthew uh, chapter 23, uh, verse six and seven, Jesus talked about, you know, the lengthening of their robes, the lengthening so they would flow the longer train. They look like some bride walking down the aisle uh, when they're walking down the street because their robes are so long and flowing. Um, now, um, this is interesting because Jesus is, is criticizing something that was long tradition of the Jews. Um, this would have kind of shaken things up for him to talk about their robes. Um, speaking of clothing, um, what should a pastor wear? Uh, uh, I, I, I always get in trouble on this one. But um, um, there, there's actually some shocking stuff in the Bible. When we were in the Gospel of Matthew, I, I skipped something because I didn't want to totally get in trouble. But I'm in a feisty mood, I think, tonight. So, <laughs> so would you turn to me with, with me to uh, Matthew 11. Go with me to Matthew chapter 11. Um, question, who was the greatest man born among women? John the Baptist. What did he wear? Camel skin. Uh, and uh, you say, Well, Brett, come on, you're making something of what John the Baptist wore. No, Jesus did that. And, and there's some language here you miss in the English text. It's, it's Matthew chapter 11, verse 8. It says, And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, John the Baptist, What went you out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? But what went you out for to see a man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what went you out for to see a prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Now, here's where it gets something you missed, where it says there in verse eight, um, what, did you go see um, uh, a man clothed in soft raiment? It says it twice, behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Now, this is where it gets shocking. The Greek word there for the word soft is um, malakos, malakos. Yeah, this uh, and it does mean soft to the uh, to the touch, but it also means effeminate. Um, In fact, I'm not this. I got this directly from the Greek dictionary. You can look this up. Of a boy kept for homosexual relationships with a man, of a male who submits his body to unlawful lewdness, of a male prostitute. Uh, This is the word malakos, and Jesus says he's wearing those clothes. Soft effeminate clothing. Hmm, I think a suit looks very soft. I'm just gonna say it. No, I'm just (laughs) just kidding, just kidding, no. Um, What's your point, Brett? Minimally, minimally, Jesus is saying, beware of these men that wear women's clothing, like these soft, like that's kind of minimally. I mean, we could talk even more about what Jesus was really saying there with such strong language. This was strong language. Um, You know, uh, You know, it it does sort of reek a little bit of of what happens in the church where um, I think pastors, sadly, tend to get kind of soft. Um, Especially, you know, I feel bad for the Catholics when when those popes made the edict that the the priests had to be, uh, you know, celibate. Big goof! Because um, a lot of those priests were a little light in the loafers, you know what I'm saying? And and then we should wonder why they're kind of effeminate dudes and, um, you know, uh, I'm just saying that was a mistake. That wasn't in the Bible. That was just some dumb thing that they came up with in church history. Um, but, um, but Jesus says, John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, in my opinion, is kind of Mr. Cabela's. You know, he's wearing camel skins. He's eating bugs for protein and wild honey out there. And he's got a big old beard and hair. And like, he's kind of this wild man out in the wilderness. Um, and Jesus that's the guy, his greatest man. Well, you can't make nothing of, of his clothing. Jesus does. He makes a huge deal out of what he wore compared to the religious leaders of the day who wore homosexual clothing or soft clothing. What does that mean? I, 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 we could talk about it even deeper. I'm not, I'm not going to go any further than I've already dug my hole. But, um, <laughs> but, but back to Mark 12, um, I, I wonder, you know, this, this whole idea of these guys with their long flowing robes. Um, Jesus is saying, these guys are way off. They're not even close. Um, Jesus is coming down on them, not for, I, I don't think it's as much what they were wearing, probably more about why they were wearing it. And I think that's in church history too. Why would guys wear fluffy soft clothes, purple robes and pointy hats? It was supposed to be the sign of authority and I'm bigger than you, I'm more important than you, and I'm wearing the godly garments. So it was sort of to puff up you know, the imagery of religion. But you don't see that in the gospels in the New Testament anywhere. I think Jesus is not coming down on them for, why they, uh, for what they were wearing as much as why they were wearing the clothes they do, to have status, to be seen, to draw attention to themselves. Um, I don't think he's arguing to dress badly necessarily, um, but there shouldn't be as much of a difference between the pastor, the elder, the bishop, and the normal dude at the church. I think that's the deal, to blend in, to be just a normal dude. I think Jesus was a normal dude. How do we know Jesus was a normal dude? Um, I'll tell you one reason we know. Remember when Judas betrayed him? And Judas said, okay, I'm gonna have to identify Jesus. We'll go into the garden, here's how we'll do this, talking to the Sanhedrin and the Caiaphas and all those guys. We'll go into the garden of Gethsemane and you won't know which one's the fisherman, Peter or John or Jesus, they all kind of look the same. So I will kiss the one that's Jesus so you know. I'll identify him with a kiss of betrayal. but why did Judas have to identify Jesus? Why didn't he just say, just go to the one with the long flowing (laughs) robes. And as he walks, he's floating along and he's got a little plate of glowness behind his head. (laughs) That's the one you want right there. No, he was just a normal guy that fit right in. And I think that's what Jesus did. Anything that is trying to separate the leaders of the church from the congregation, I think is, is kind of a bad move. Now, there are logistical things that are kind of interesting. Um, I remember went to a church once um, and I saw the parking lot and the parking spot for the pastor said, If you don't preach here, don't park here. That's what it said. And I think they meant it sort of in jest, but kind of not. If you parked there, they'd tow your car, you know, or whatever. Um, now, I used to park among the unwashed masses of Aetha Creek. <laughs> um, and uh, you might wonder, Brett, why do you park where you do? A um, couple reasons. One, uh, is it allows me to come and go kind of quicker uh, when I need to get here early or get here late or whatever. And when I what was happening when I was parking out uh, with everybody else, I'm a talker and I would never get into the sanctuary. Like like I seriously, there were, do you guys remember when AC Creek started at 20 after every time? That's because I parked out in the normal parking lot. I, I just go out there and I get out of my truck. Hey, how's it going? And then the elders would come around, Brett, the service is supposed to start. Like I'd be talking and I'd talk to somebody and then I'd walk 10 steps and talk to somebody else. And I love that. I, I love doing that. Um, but, uh, but that's part of the problem. They said, no, Brett, you've got to park where you don't talk to people. You got to get into the church. <laughs> It'd be on time. And now if you notice Ether Creek, we're like totally on time all the time. <laughs> Um, if you're an old school atheist every Sunday, every Wednesday was totally late and tardy and stuff. Um, but but um, so there, there's some logistical reasons, but, um, but actually I balk against that a lot um, because I don't want to be weird about it. I just want to fit in like normal person and, and the church has gotten bigger. Things have gotten a little logistically more challenging um, and, um, and that's kind of been tricky. But at the same time, when people are doing it for the reason to be seen of men or to be in a place of loftiness, like if their motive is that way, that's what these guys, Jesus is coming down. He saw their prideful heart, their wealth, their wanting to be in charge of people and he's calling them all out uh, right there. So beware of them that are in long clothing, love the salutations in the marketplace, you know, to be seen of men. Oh, pastor so-and-so or whatever, they love that. Um, uh, I think that's uh, something we should all, especially the larger a church gets, this this stuff gets kind of weird. Um, then you hear about the celebrity pastor problem. And that, that's something that um, people uh, people come and say, oh, Athey Creek's a mega church. And that's a nasty word nowadays, mega church. Um, but we had a guy come to the church, um, was it, Bill, was it last week the guy came? And he said, I thought, I said, I'm never going to eighth grade because it's a mega church. And some, somebody finally got him to come here last Sunday. And he said, this isn't a mega church. He said, this is a Bible church. And I thought, oh, music to my ears. Yeah. Like that's, that's it. Um, um, that's, that's truly. We want to be a Jesus-centered church, um, big or little. By the way, uh, people that argue against megachurches, I understand, there's been a lot of abusive things in big churches that do stupid stuff. There's also a lot of little churches that have done abusive things and stupid stuff. But you see both in the New Testament, in fact, in Acts 242, through that whole section of the early church, there was one church meeting where 3,000 people were saved and one sitting. Do you think that was a large crowd? That was a megachurch. I think they define a megachurch by 1,500 people or more. Um, so that was a megachurch. Um, but also they would meet in small groups and from house to house. And, and, and man, at Athey Creek, we love that. We wanna encourage people to meet uh, in smaller. And, and if, you, if Athey's too big, I totally get that. And I can recommend smaller churches around here. That would be really great. Um, make sure they're Bible teaching, uh, God uh, believing, Christ centered uh, church. But there, there's some good ones. Some of the small churches around here are awesome. So um, I get it, but don't, don't be careful about the criticism. That's the trend. Here's a funny sideline thing. Um, the very people that used to in the 90s be seeker friendly and were all mega churches that's where it's at. And they were driving for attendance and marketing the church and doing all this stupid stuff to get bigger and bigger. Um, they're all the ones that failed now with that. They went huge and then they all failed for whatever reason. And now they're the very same people that are, oh, those mega churches are evil. Meanwhile, the Greek, we've just been teaching the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, for the last 27 years. And we're not really changing, uh, we're not trying to do anything other than just do what the scriptures tell us to do. So um, um, keep that narrative, I like that narrative. Athe Greek's not a megachurch, we're a Bible church. I, I, I love that. Now, they, they would come uh, to see the market, be seen in the marketplace and the chief seats have you ever been to a church where the elders sit on the stage behind uh, the pastor as he's teaching? We don't do that because I'm afraid my elders would fall asleep. Um, uh, no, I'm just kidding. No, they, they do probably pretty good. But we, they don't want those seats. They, they don't, nobody wants to be in the chief seats. Uh, but boy, these, these guys sure did. Um, and, um, and they also, this is the shocking, they would, verse 40, devour widows' houses for a pretense— uh, make long prayers. So they would, they would go to the widow and make them pay money uh, for their ministries or whatever, uh, but they were using it for their own gain. Uh, but then also they would uh, pretend to be spiritual with their long-winded prayers. Sometimes I wonder if you ask somebody to pray, you know, let's say you go to a bunch of people's house for dinner and then you ask, oh, you know, so-and-so, will you pray? He's like, yes, let us pray. And then he just starts praying and praying See, before the food and stuff, there's a time to eat and there's a time to pray. And I, I like a short and sweet prayer before dinner. I'm just gonna say that. It says, eat your meat with Thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. You know, it's like, like, I don't think you, the Lord doesn't hear us for our much speaking, the Bible says. But I'm always a little leery of the guy that has to be kind of long-winded for the purpose of being long-winded and sounding really holy and spiritual. Watch out for that. I'm not arguing it's long prayers. Um, you know, but, but the long prayer that's in a person's closet when nobody's looking and you're crying out to the Lord, that's the prayer God hears. And that earnest prayer of, you know, of a righteous man or a righteous woman availeth much. So, um, man, I I would just encourage you, um, watch out for this, but these guys were known for their long winded prayers and the Lord's, he's calling them out. You guys are going to receive a greater damnation. Um, this is pretty heavy, um, so now, um, by the way, in, um, in verse 41, it says, and Jesus sat over against the treasury. Now, um, now you gotta understand where he's at in, in the temple. In, in, in the temple, there was the, uh, the treasury is a place where people would give to the Lord uh, in a box, but the box had sort of a trumpet. In fact, I've got a, um, a picture of what that would look like uh, there in the first century temple. It was like a big trumpet on a box and you'd toss your money into the big trumpet uh, and it would jingle as it went down the, uh, the tube um, and what have you. But um, the inner area of the temple contained three courts. Um, the easternmost court was the court of the women, that's what they called it. And it contained the temple treasury where people would give their money. Now, within the, the, that area of the temple treasury, uh, against the wall, there were 13 of these chests or trumpets for charitable contributions, they would place them in there. So Jesus is standing right here in this room, watching these big box trumpets as people walked in to worship. And you gotta understand, there'd be people by the thousands going through this place um, and they would give of their money. But notice what Jesus does in verse 41. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which is cast into the treasury. For they all did cast in of their abundance. But she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Notice that Jesus saw how they gave. He wasn't seemingly as concerned with what or the dollar amount that he gave, just how they were giving. And and by the way, when you give to the Lord, that's what you need to be concerned about. How am I giving? What's my attitude? This woman came in, gave, and didn't, you know, she gave way more, Jesus said, uh, because it was all that she had. Uh, Jesus saw that. Um, By the way, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, or begrudgingly, or of necessity. I gotta give, oh well, I better give my tithe to the Lord. Nope, for God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, That word cheerful, uh, it's pretty fun because the Greek word for that is hilarious. What's so funny about it? No, it's hilarious. Uh, The Greek word where we get our word hilarious comes from this word "hilaros," which means uh, um, uh, uh, cheerful, joyous prompt to do something. Uh, and it's the entomology for the word, hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. Like, you know what, this is my last of my money. Uh, oh well, I'm giving it to the Lord because you can't give God and I know the Lord is faithful. Like having a cheerful demeanor. God loves a cheerful giver, but he doesn't want a person just to uh, give begrudgingly or out of necessity. Um, I feel like um, the, the church did too much to try to twist people's arms uh, to give. And so sermon after sermon, series after series, preaching about giving and tithing and all that stuff has really ruined a lot of people's heart. Uh, it took a lot of the fun out of it, in my opinion. Um, when does Athe Creek talk about tithing? Right now. Why? Because it up, came up in our scripture right here. Like that's why we're doing it. Uh, but I, I am happy to not talk about tithing. And you know what's funny when, when I don't talk about tithing? Um, that there's 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 a faithful bunch of people at Atheism to, to just keep giving faithfully to the Lord, and it's what makes the church run. It's what keeps things going, and it's so cool because we don't have to sit and beg for money and say, "Oh, give till it hurts," you know, put it in the bucket. This is the second or third time we're gonna pass the bucket around. We just we just don't do that uh, because um, uh, we don't want people to give begrudgingly or out of necessity or um, any of that. But in it with a cheerful sort of demeanor demeanor. Um, But those that are, and and this is weird because I don't want to make it so those that are truly spiritual give of their tithes and offering. But let me say this, people who read their Bibles and kind of get the heart and the whole thing behind it, I think you find a very giving bunch that just kind of gets the real message from the Bible. Um, You know, in verses 43 and 44, she noticed she gave out of her own poverty. They gave out of their abundance. Um, Jesus isn't watching the portion, but the proportion. Uh, not just the portion that they gave, the proportion. She gave all, the people that were super wealthy gave more money, but he's like, yeah, but they, they were giving proportionally quite a bit, actually less, and then their, their attitudes were wrong. Um, the Bible talks about the pride of living, and it warns also against the pride of giving. There are sins we need to avoid. When they gave, they would make a big deal out of it. The Pharisees were known, by the way, to give alms to the poor as they walked down the street. But some of the Pharisees literally carried a little trumpet, like a little bugle horn with them on their side, a little chain, a bugle horn. So they'd walk down, they'd see a poor person saying, alms for the poor. And so they would just go, ching, 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 ching and give money to the poor, and then go, dur, 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 dur. I just gave to the poor. Or, dur, 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 dur. Like, uh, it's like uh, whatever they trumpeted, I don't know the tune, but, um, uh, but uh, they, they were getting attention to themselves. Um, this is not what the Bible teaches uh making a big deal out of our giving um, it's it's actually tricky. you know Jesus talking about not letting the left hand know what the right hand's doing um, giving out of uh, you know kind of secret uh, letting God reward you, not man rewarding you that's hard these days you know uh, it's interesting how legally you know people say, why do we record who gives? Uh, when we send you that letter at the end of the year, it's, it's for tax purposes. And uh, it's also us being in compliance with the laws of the land. Um, but one thing I wanna tell you, and I need to say this, and I like to bring this up when we're talking about giving. I don't know who gives what. At athe Creek, I've asked from the very first day of the church back in September of 1996, I told the few guys who were in our leaders role, I don't ever wanna know who's giving what. And there's a reason for that. I've seen how corrupt things get when uh, the pastor knows, oh, we're gonna watch out for our big givers, you know? Uh, Make sure and don't offend those donors that are the big givers. I don't wanna say anything that might, like I don't wanna even uh, be uh, thought of as doing such a thing. Um, I think that's tweaked out a lot of pastors and money becomes a huge pitfall um, for um, the ministry. And we have a governing board and a team of leadership that, uh, you know, and we have an accounting uh, that's second to none. We got a great group uh, that, that really works things out. And on above board, we do a self audit every year with an outside firm to make sure Aethi Creek is, uh, you know, if we were, you know, audited by the IRS, uh, we, we'd, we already have all our ducks perfectly in a row because um, they, they uh, do such a wonderful job there. Um, we've had, uh, you know, um, high level uh, CPAs come in and say, uh, can we see what's going on? And and, uh, we've been told that uh, AC Creek's the best church they've seen when it comes to accounting. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying that because we take it very seriously to do things on as, as well as we can. Jesus did all things well. And so we have a team of accountants, CPA, team that's doing a wonderful job, covered with our governing board. Um, I, don't, I don't dictate who, how, who makes what in the church, myself included. Um, uh, it's, it's a board that decides all of that stuff. Um, and um, some, so, so if you're wondering why I didn't give you a phone call and thank you for your generous gift, because <laughs> I didn't know you gave it. Uh, <laughs> If you come up and shake my hand waiting for, thanks for that, you know, generous donation, you know, or whatever, uh, I'm kind of, once in a while it sneaks out. Uh, I think the Lord does allow that. There's been a couple of times, one time, one of my favorite times is, Back when we were in the old warehouse in Wilsonville, we were uh, showing little uh, little two-minute videos on our building project to get everybody up up to date of what we were trying to do, and just you know we were never asking for money, but we, we were showing here's what the costs of things are, and here's where we are, you know, we, and we just kind of informed everybody. But this um, this one, uh, we we were getting weeks and weeks closer to the actual uh, having to make some payments and stuff, and. And this, um, this one video, the week before, we showed all the bathrooms we were gonna have, because we were short on bathrooms, especially one of the genders. We were really short on, on uh, bathrooms uh, at the old building. So we showed, here's the bathrooms in the new building. And it was like ding, 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 all the stalls and everything, you know? It's like ding, 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 ding. And we got this roar of applause. Um, <laughs> But, and then after the applause, our uh comms team and the guys edited it and said, But if we uh, don't raise, you know, raise enough uh, then eh, 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 it's we started <laughs> it, it was a joke. It was how we we're gonna have to cause the bathrooms are expensive and everything. But um but this sweet little guy, he's this little old guy comes walking up after the service, he said, Oh, Pastor Pratt, my wife, she what she said I needed to help pay for those bathroom stalls. <laughs> uh and um uh, and I just um I just need to make sure that those women's bathroom stalls don't get, you know, xed out like that. He was joking, but he was—he was like, "Yeah, but my wife's serious." Uh, so he handed—he handed me this envelope, and I and I, I said, "Hey, thanks. Why don't you give it over?" And I had him get because I don't handle—I don't like to handle—and I asked him to give it over to one of our, uh, you know, leaders, and and then they put it in the, the offering, but. Um, I didn't know, like to this little guy, did he know how much um, uh, um, bathroom stalls cost? Uh, you know, cause I, I knew the dollar amount of how much that was gonna cost. But he, in that little check that he gave, it paid for the whole bathrooms, men and women's of this building, uh, just one check. Uh, and it was kind of like, wow. That's like one of the few times I actually knew of a guy. You know what's funny though? And I gotta say this, if you're that guy, I'm not sure I can pick you out in the crowd. I, I'm very forgetful, I just remember the sweet nice little guy giving me this check and his heart was good. And it was just that, it was almost like that hilarious giver. And that's the kind of stuff. And, it, and by the way, it's not the big checks that keeps Athey Creek going. It's it's the, the people that say, we we want to observe sort of the tithe. Um, and, and that's what actually keeps everything going. Um, not people that kind of put a few bucks in here and there. Um, it, by the way, Matthew chapter uh, six, verses three and four says, but when you do alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand's Doing um, that, thine alms may be in secret, and thy father, which sees in secret, himself shall reward thee openly. Um, you know what I've noticed about this? Just this is an observation. But people that are more poor in their giving, they're not they they're good at this, not letting the left hand know what the right hand's doing, not wanting accolades for their giving. But it's the really wealthy people that it's like there's something that happens where they kind of want to have the window with their name etched in it. Uh, or the parking lot with their parking space or the chair with their name on it. Or, like, Athey doesn't do that. Uh, and, and if you're a wealthy person, watch out. It's so easy to as Well, I'm, I'm a big giver here at Athey. I'm an influencer. You know? That's not the heart of a giver. Uh, and we would re- re- refer you to Matthew 6, verse three and four. Um, uh, so some people also wanna try to steer where their tithes and offerings go. So they'll delineate it. I've noticed wealthy people like doing that as well. That's not what the tithe is. If If you're giving because of the principle, not the law, by the way, we don't believe in keeping the laws of the Old Testament today. We're no longer under the law, but there is a principle, and I'll show you how that works, but the tithe belongs to the Lord, given to the Lord, and where was the tithe brought? Does anybody remember where did they bring the tithes? To the storehouse. What was the storehouse holding? food along with everything else. Um, so where you're spiritually fed, you bring your tithe to the storehouse, that would be the church, and then it would be dispensed and delineated by the leadership of the church. It, it's not, the tithe is not meant for you to control. I'd like to give this, but I'd like to see the wall go up over here. And I'd like a special parking space for my Lamborghini over here. Um, no, that you can't delineate, or even if it's a well, I wanna give this much to missions or stuff. The tithe belongs to the Lord, it goes to the storehouse divvied out by the leadership of the church. The offering, tithe and offering. Offering is more of an over and beyond the tithe in principle. Um, Some of us believe it's a get to, it's not a got to. We get to tithe one-tenth of our income. That's what we do. Um, Anything over and beyond that is what we call an offering. Now an offering can be delineated or directed, uh, but I also see that as a bit of a problem. There's been times when Athey Creek years ago was just broke, and we were just trying to pay for children's ministry and diapers and paying our building costs. And and people would give big dollars, you know, say, I'd like to do missions or I'd like to do, you know, I'm, I'm like, well, I'd like to pay for our electricity. Uh, and sometimes that was kind of a thing uh, when people would try to direct their tithes and that is kind of like, yeah, a little tricky. Um, now in First Corinthians, again, this is here where we are in the scriptures. So I wanna give you some basics on this, First Corinthians 16, one and two. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, which is Sunday, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. Now that, that's actually kind of a percentage thing if you kind of do the language on that. As the Lord has prospered, lay in store for the Lord as he's blessed you, in other words, how much you make, that's how much you're gonna give accordingly. That there be no gatherings when I come. Paul wanted to low profile the gathering uh, of money. Um, and, um, you know, it's funny, we used to pass the bucket. Um, and we when we first started, eighth, we didn't pass the bucket. Then we started passing the bucket because people said, we love it to be kind of an act of worship and um, enduring worship songs and make it part of the worship service. And I get that too. Um, but at the same time, I just, uh, a few years ago, we all kind of felt like, why should we do that? It's it's becomes a thing where people are, uh, focused on it, and and we, and we kind of like this idea of no gatherings when I come um, so in actually more like first century, we have boxes we didn 't put the big trumpets on the boxes in the back uh, and uh, and just not letting the left hand know what the right hand 's doing plus uh, you know you 've all taken the mark of the beast, and most of you give digitally now anyway so uh, no i 'm just kidding i 'm just kidding that's um, uh, uh, it has changed the whole way of payment has changed so much. But um, I do think it is a neat act of worship. Don't miss out on the, the time when you're giving, whether you're clicking or giving in a box. Uh, it is an act of worship. Don't, don't forget that. Um, is the tithe an Old Testament law? And are we under the law anymore? Um, I would argue that it's, it's a principle that we can live by if, if you really want to. And I, I've never been let down by this principle. Um, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 23, 23. It wasn't about tithing, but it talks about tithing. He says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, all their spices, one-tenth one, uh, goes to the Lord, nine-tenths go to me, they would go with their, all that. And if you omitted the weightier matters of the law, like judgment, mercy, faith, these ought you to have done, and not to leave the other undone. In other words, you should have not forgotten to tithe, but you should have been, you know, having good judgment, mercy, faith, um, but not to leave the tithing undone. Um, question, when did the idea of the tithe first come up? Melchizedek, Genesis chapter 14. That's long before the law was given. So the, the principle of the tithe precedes the law of Moses. And that's why I like it as a principle. Do you have to legally tithe at 80 Greek if you if you call yourself a Christian? Uh, no, I don't believe that's a law that you have to do. Um, I think it's a principle to live by. And, and I've, again, found it to be, a blessing for me personally and my family, but also for those who just faithfully give of a tithe and then give offerings over and beyond. Uh, We see in Genesis 14, the precedent set of giving one-tenth. By the way, the word tithe means Uh, 10th. Some people say, oh, I'd like to give 5%. Well, you can. We'll have to call that a five, I guess, uh, or something. I don't know, but uh, the tithe is an an interesting thing. Now you might say, well, Brett, I don't like giving a tithe. Uh, That's, you know, too much or whatever. Give me another scriptural model. Well, there is another model of giving in the New Testament church, Acts chapter four. Neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of all the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as had need. So if you wanna sell all your stuff and bring it to Athey Creek, you can use this as your model. Uh, (laughs) No, I'm sort of joking there because if you don't bring all of it, what happens? Yeah, you die. Uh, anyway, that, that's a whole other story. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. That's not even. Uh, but that's what happened. The, the people, you know, Annanises of Fire thought that they were going to lie about how much they give. But um, the the tithe starts uh, not looking so bad when you remember what the early church did, and um, and that's kind of the, the 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 blessing of giving. Now, by the way, you say, "Brett, this looks like socialism." Um, And socialism is something that I don't, I'm not a uh, proponent of, uh, nor communism. Uh, But I'm also uh, seeing that even capitalism and all this, like everything's flawed because of humanity. Wherever you bring people, I think if you had socialism without sinners, it'd be amazing. But because socialism is full of sinners, it's greedy and horrible, and it puts a lot of people into total abject poverty. Um, Socialism fails. But why did it sort of seem like socialism here? I'll tell you why. Because the church was on fire for Jesus. They were being deeply persecuted and killed in the streets. So what they did is they all came together with their resources and as a team, and in, in, you can call it communism or socialism, but without the greed, um, they all came and had everything in common, as it says in this verse right here. That's why they did that. Um, you almost wonder, would there ever be a day If church persecution got so bad before the rapture of the church, would there ever be a day where the church would have to kind of pull all our resources together just to survive? Um, I could see that happening. It's happened in modern day in other countries of the world. Um, And there are hints of that uh, that could happen. If you missed our Prophecy Update last month, the July Prophecy Update, we did a whole thing on possible coming persecution. Even though the rapture of the church is gonna pull us out of the worst time before the worst time in the world ever happens, it doesn't mean that persecution couldn't come before the rapture of the church. And I just want people to kind of be cognizant of that. Well, the widow gives all that she had, not just the tithe, she gave every every kind. By the way, I heard a sermon once about three types of givers. You have the flint givers, flint givers. You gotta hammer them. And if you hammer hard enough, you might get a spark. (laughs) You got the sponge givers where if you squeeze them hard enough, they'll give. But you have the honeycomb givers. The sweetness just flows out, tithes and offerings um, as they just work and serve. Um, And I I, I thought that was a funny sermon and it was meant to be kind of uh, funny, but um, I I do uh, thank the Lord for the faithful givers uh, that kind of help Athe Creek roll and go. Uh, the model the church gives, it, it works. Um, we could talk about uh, you know, um, how many people actually give, but um, it's, it's a little shocking. In America, um, the average Christian spends more on their pet than they do giving of tithes and offerings. Um, that's, that's just the truth. Uh, and it's actually shockingly a lot more for their pets um, than what they give. But I could give you all kinds of stats, but I won't go into that. But um, all that to say, we've, um, we see this beautiful uh, girl who just gives. She's a widow who just gives out of, uh, out of her own need. And Jesus, um, he knows that she's blessed. Do you think Jesus is gonna bless? Do you think that widow's in heaven right now thinking, I wish I wouldn't have given my two pennies? Um, no, I'm pretty sure she's, she's uh, very happy, and she made the Bible. Uh, now, uh, chapter 13, since we have enough time to finish that tonight. Um, <laughs> what, what's oh, so funny? Oh no. No, uh, this, is, this is the Mark version of the Olivet Discourse. Um, and do you remember the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 uh, and 25? All those red letters, well, um, you know, Mark's gonna boil it down into just these 37 verses. Uh, So we're gonna get the reader's digest, but we're gonna see a few things that we didn't see in Matthew 24 as well. So it's kind of exciting. So this will be very prophetic. Uh, We'll pick that up next week. Uh, Let's pray together. Lord, how thankful we are for uh, your word. And uh, this is just this good reminder about not letting our left hand know what our right hand is doing and giving um, not out of our abundance, but even out of our own need. Lord, you, you have proven yourself faithful and we've seen where you cannot be outgiven. Lord, I, I thank you for all the people um, here at ATHE and those that watch online, our, our uh, live streaming crews and the watch parties uh, that all are part of that, uh, helping just the, to uh, do the ministry and helping the resources flow in, Lord. And um, we do pray, you just continue to bless Athey Creek. We, we pray that the resources that we have would be used for your purpose and for your glory. Um, Lord, as we pray about and prepare and even work on trying to finish this building and building it, uh, we know that, that that's gonna require um, uh, resources and money. But uh, how thankful we are for your provision thus far. And you've always been faithful, Lord. So I pray you just continue to use this congregation, um, not just for this building, but for the, all the work of the ministry, for the missions that we have around the world and the gospel that's being preached and reaching people that are unsaved. Lord, I pray that you just continue to use these resources for your glory. Um, Lord, I, I thank you for um, the, uh, the, the way Jesus handled these questions and then stumped the scribes. Uh, but the common people heard him gladly. Lord, we we hear you gladly. We read your word with gladness in our hearts for in your word, we find the secret of life and uh, eternal life and the gospel and the good news of salvation. So we're thankful. Now, as we go our way, bless these, your people, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.